Let's read Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, and we'll spend our time in verse 20. For I know that this will turn out for my salvation through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, comma, according to my earnest expectation and hope, comma, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. You know, when people graduate from seminary, usual advice is that you preach from the Gospels or you start with either Philippians or Ephesians. But really with Philippians. Why? Because Philippians is really, it does not deal with any serious doctrinal issues. No Paul is rebuking the church for anything. So as people say, the theme of this epistle is joy. We all need joy. So, so this is a good place to begin your preaching ministry. I've heard that more than twice. But as you are reading through this with me, verse by verse, you understand that joy is not the focus of this letter. Christ is the focus and the joy is the fruit you bear as you abide in Christ. Paul is not asking us or telling us how to find joy. Life is depressing, so I hope you could find a joy that I'm talking about. Rejoice, rejoice. So theme of this is joy. I don't think so. I, I think not. But really, this is about life that is so focused on Christ and, and living in Christ. Verse 20, he's saying, With all boldness, Christ will even now as always be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Only that kind of life, serious life, pursuing Christ, remaining in Christ, can talk about joy that is not attached to anything in this world. So that's, that's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm figuring out. And I am sure you are also reading that from the text. This is a very serious letter. It's not a superficial how to find joy. Be joyful. I usually take you uh, in a journey with me as I preach. How I discovered these truths uh, in and from the Word. And that's what I want to do. And the first part, I want you to spend some time, probably at the most, probably a minute or two. But it requires serious attention from you. That is, 
first thing that came to my mind as I am reading verse 20, and I want you to look at verse 20 and 19 carefully, was the first phrase. It says, according to my earnest expectation and hope. But that sits in between two commas. So as I am reading it, my question was, does that go with the verse 19 or does that go with verse 20? What is he saying? I'll give you an example. If you have an ESV Bible, it gives you not a translation but an interpretation. And this is what they say. ESV says, verse 20, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. So it attaches that section with verse 20. It is my eager expectation to do, to honor Christ in my body. That's my eager expectation. That's ESV, but I I don't think so. So I looked it up, and I'll tell you why this is important. Chapter divisions and verse divisions, as you know, they are not part of the original manuscript. If you look up, if you Google Greek New Testament original manuscript, you will see a whole block without any spacing between phrases or words, and most of words are capital letters packed together like a brick. I can't read it. I cannot read where that ends, what's the word. It's very difficult to read. So it was like a blog. But as time went on, people inserted comma, question mark, things like that to help you understand what it is saying. So I looked up my Greek text to see what, what this is all about. And this is how it is appearing in that blue book, NA27. And the comma, the first comma is not there in verse 20 in the beginning. But with the second one, earnest expectation and hope, comma is there. So the idea is this. As I am reading it, this is, the, this is how you should read. For starting from verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my salvation through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope, comma, that I will not. Now, what, 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 what are we talking about? Why? What is this all about? As soon as I read it in that fashion, the first phrase is attached to verse 19. This is what I wrote down, and I think this is, this is correct. Idea of Paul's salvation that he talks about in verse 19. It has three contents, or three dimensions. First is temporal. My salvation is about release from the prison. That's the first one. Second one is the ultimate salvation that we talked about. My final salvation. I am saved. I am in Christ. That salvation. But his earnest expectation and hope is that salvation. 
So what he says, I will not be put to shame in anything, but in everything the Christ will be magnified. What he says is also part of his understanding of his salvation. Normally we understand salvation as going to heaven. Or in difficult situations, I want to be saved from this situation. I just want to, just want to get out of this situation. But if we are reading as it is described in verse 20, I believe what he is saying at the end of verse 20 is also his understanding of salvation. You could call it good works, or you could call it personal, Christ-exalting gospel proclamation. Because if you don't have that understanding, the last phrase of verse 20 is for many people too much. If you are reading this, I don't know, Monday. Let's say you are reading this on Monday. You are reading verse 20. I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be magnified in my body. You are nodding and you say amen. But look at the last phrase. Whether by life or by death, that's just too much, people may say. That, you know, I am dealing with my life. And when Paul says Christ will be magnified by life and by death, that's just too much. I have my life to worry about. So I think the sense is people do not or cannot identify with Paul's statement. If you understand the first phrase as, this is my honest expectation that I will do this in my body, you will say, that's for you, Apostle Paul. But for me, I am not ready to commit to that degree. That's just too much. But if his eager expectation is his salvation, he is saying all of those temporal, eternal, eternal first, but temporal, and also what I am going to do in my life right now matters for my salvation, as he says, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. So you do not dismiss the last phrase is my point. When you hear that Christ will be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death, if that is part of his salvation that he's talking about, you will come to a conclusion that is not an option for you. You do not have a choice. You cannot say, Paul, that's too much, that's for you. I am dealing with my issues and I just cannot agree with you. You cannot say that if that last phrase is part of his salvation. I think that's correct. Salvation is grounded in Christ. We are saved in Christ. So with that perspective, we deal with our issues. Temporal salvation. But at the same time, it does not leave you alone. There are things that you do because you are saved. You could talk about sanctification or you could talk about good works that is flowing out of your salvation. So I just simply want you to understand magnifying Christ in your body, whether by life or by death, is not an option. I mean, you cannot deny it. It's a, 
is not an option you pick and choose. It comes with the salvation that you receive from Christ. That all Christians should say with Paul that this is, by the grace of God, I also want to do in my life. Okay? So this is not something that is just for the extreme kind of Christians, but for all of us. Paul is in prison and he does not know what is going to happen to him. He could receive death sentence literally and he could literally die. If you look up the dates of Philippians, that's the time of Nero. And actually he will die. So with that uncertainty and all of us, we do not know what the future holds. So with the uncertainty, how do we respond to our future? Usually we are anxious. We are worried about our future. All of us, we all do. No matter what your age is, we are all worrying about something. You, you ask your children. Do not ignore them. They have their worries too. Young ones too. They have their own stress, worries. They all know. We all know. No matter where you are in your life, you worry. We worry. We don't know. With that, then, we learn something from this text, from this great apostle. What does he say? There is one word that we could all relate to. That's boldness. With all boldness, he says. I think that's very good. Why? If you would turn, I'm having Philippians here, but if you just turn one page before, he's asking Ephesian church to pray for him so that he could boldly proclaim the gospel. What that tells me is for Paul, once again, we imagine Paul to be a preaching machine. But oftentimes he had to overcome his, overcome his fears to preach the gospel within the prison with his life hanging on the balance. So it is good for us to hear that. With all boldness, I want to do this. I want to magnify Christ in my body, that is his life. Even Paul needed boldness. And he's asking other churches to pray for him so that he could boldly proclaim. So we understand Paul needed boldness from God to fulfill his ministry. And if you have done any kind of ministry, you understand we need boldness from God. Whether you are preaching teaching, Sunday school, playing, handing out bulletins, whatever it is, we all need boldness. If you have taught Sunday school, it is terrifying to stand before four-year-olds, three-year-olds. It is absolutely terrifying to stand before the teens. And even as I was coming to this church, church here, you know, I've been preaching for 20 years but every Sunday, I'm so terrified. I am so anxious. I am so nervous. And I have to pray to God. It doesn't get easier as time goes on. So we all need boldness. 
With uncertainty, we need boldness. But the question is, where do you get that? Where does that come from? We pray to God. We read God's word. But that boldness, does that come from heaven immediately? As you seek that boldness, somehow you are emboldened? Certain times, yes. Holy Spirit gives you that. But I want to find that source of boldness from the text. And that's what precedes that section. Look with me again in verse 20. That I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, and I will say, the source of boldness, at least in this text, one of the sources is what he just said. That I will not be put to shame in anything. That's the key in understanding the source of that all boldness that he wants, that we need. That is this. The shame language in Paul, for example, Romans 1, 6, and 4, I am not ashamed of the gospel. When you hear the word, I am not ashamed, we are immediately thinking about my psychological state. When you share the gospel, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm ashamed, but I'm trying not to be ashamed. So immediately we are thinking in terms of psychological terms when you hear the word shame. But the language of shame, as you know, is a covenantal language. When you look at all this text, shame has to do with salvation and God's faithfulness. So when he is ashamed, or these people will be ashamed, who will be ashamed? Non-believers and pagans will be ashamed. Why? Because they are not coming to this living God. So they will be ashamed. It's not talking about they will be embarrassed. But God will deny them and they will fall into the judgment of God. That's the shame language. God's grace and mercy and faithfulness enable us to respond to that grace in the gospel. But as we have been saying, in our covenantal language and covenant theology, two things are affirmed. God's absolute sovereignty, but also human responsibility. Why? Because covenant, in the covenant, there are the terms of the covenant. God is absolutely sovereign in electing. As we have read, God has given His Son, His people, the seed, unto the Son. But yet, God holds us responsible for our response and our faithfulness. Right? So consistently in the Old Testament, God says, I have saved you. I am the Lord your God. So remain faithful. That's the Ten Commandments. That's the rest of the Old Testament. It's not works righteousness. So when Paul says, 
I will not be put to shame in anything. What he is worrying about is not the future life that he does not know. But he is first and foremost concerned about his own faithfulness to this faithful God. He is asking, I will not be put to shame in anything. Paul, are you worried about your future? Yes, I want to be released. Yes, that's my earnest expectation and hope. Eternal, temporal, and my responsibility. I want to be freed, he will say. But no, he will also say, as you read, verse 21 and following. Why? Because to be with the Lord, to die is gain. I'd rather choose that. But if God leaves me here, that means fruitful labor for me, for you. So either way, Paul says, I win. But my real fear in this text is, I will not be put to shame in anything. I don't want to be ashamed. My fear is my own faithfulness to our God. So with all boldness, he is actually dealing with fear. But not so much about the fear of uncertain future, but fear of his own failing. He is his own enemy at this time, in this place, in the prison. So for us, as we usually say, if the fear of God triumphs over other fear, we could overcome some of fear that we deal with. Fear of uncertainty, fear of man, when our Major focus is on my own faithfulness. So, 2020, we went through the COVID and still lingering, as, as, we, as we know. But now you are in a position where you could examine yourself. How did you fare during that time? What about now? What am I really worried about. When we are constantly worried about our uncertain future, and that's the only thing that we are looking at, we are missing the whole point of salvation. Eternal salvation must give us some kind of relief from uncertain futures. We cannot act like pagans or unbelievers. We have true and abiding living hope in Christ. So as we confess that, that has to have some kind of effect upon our lives. But at the same time, what do you usually worry about? I mean, it's obvious. We worry about our future. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to my life? What's going to happen to this church? What's going to happen to this? My health? My parents. So our thinking bounces from this topic to this topic to this topic. Never-ending worry. So when that happens, what happens? There's no joy. When you, are, when you are worried and terrified, how can you talk about joy? That's correct. But what the Word of God is telling me is that how much do I worry about my faithfulness to our God? 
and leave all the consequences to Him, who is sovereign and gracious, and He is our Father, and, and we just have to wait and see. But to have all boldness, we must have our proper fear, the object of our fear, is that when we worry about our own faithfulness and leave all the consequences up to Him, that's kind of life that could experience the joy that the Philippians is talking about. So work on that. Positively speaking, that boldness, his boldness has contents. It's not, Lord, give me boldness. That boldness has to have some contents in it. What are you going to do with the boldness? So we say, we don't want to be put to shame like Paul, as Paul says. I want to remain faithful. That's my chief concern. And we need to work on that. It is not magical. It does not happen overnight. You practice it. You practice it. When your thoughts, thoughts are running away, like you know, running all different places, you have to read, remember, and trying to drag your thought into the Word. That's right. I will not be put to shame in anything. I must remain faithful. That's something that I have to worry about. Not the future. I don't know. We don't know. But what God is asking you here and now is your faithfulness to that faithful God. But the content is what follows. But that with all boldness, the next. What does it say? Christ. So first thing is that subject, Christ. We talked about self-forgetfulness is the key in this text in chapter 1. To the degree that you can forget about yourself and replace yourself with Christ in your own heart. For Paul, he says, with all boldness, Christ. It's not I, it's not my life. But it is Christ. He takes the center. He takes the driving seat, the driver's seat. He is in the main. He is the, he is the subject. So Christ. Second thing is what? Christ will even now as always. I think it's very important here. That Paul's resolution that Christ will be magnified is not something that he came up with in prison. It's not. Usually, when tribulations, when they come, we, we do not have time to think about those things. That is why it is good time for you now to think about these things. Not in the crisis, but now, when things are rather peaceful. He says, we'll even now as always. So this is not, nothing new. He's been exalting Christ every day throughout his life. And when he's in prison, nothing really changes for him. He will continue yesterday's faithfulness today. Without that past, it's very difficult for you to remain faithful in crisis, during crisis. You are just 
panicking everywhere. You're anxious. So when you are anxious, you become harsh, rash. You make wrong decisions. Bad things happen. But we're even now, as always, that's the content. We looked at Job last Sunday. Very first verse, chapter 1, verse 1, began in this fashion. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. That's the description of him. So when, you know, all this bad news came upon him, yes, he struggles, but he is actually, to the end, he remains faithful. He had some, that, some of that past history. Good news is that it's not too late. All of us, we could start today and say with Paul, even now as always, and going back to what he's saying, Christ will be magnified in my body. Body, he's not separating from soul or spirit. For him, the body is basically myself. So Christ will be magnified in my body, basically means in my life. So that's the content of his resolution, his boldness. That's what he's worrying about, thinking about how Christ will be magnified in my life. That's what he's thinking about. And when you focus on that, it's hard for other worries to seep through that, that watertight content, the heart that is full of Christ magnifying. It's not exalting, really. Magnifying, that word is enlarging. Making Christ big and bigger. That's his focus. So when that's the focus, what comes and the la- as the last phrase just comes with territory. If that's what he's really caring about every day, Christ will be magnified in my body, body, and he says, whether by life or by death. It's natural to say that. It does not matter what happens to me, because the important thing is that Christ will be magnified in my body. So, I think the secret of this boldness is fearing my own unfaithfulness. Positively speaking, you and I, we must be concerned about Christ being magnified in my life. You know, just thinking back to COVID time, when did you, when did you feel most fearful? I mean, that was a terrifying time. My, my, my first re- realization that something was really happening was when I went to Costco. And if you go to Costco, after the produce section, you turn the corner, and usually there, there are the toilet papers. But you turned, and it was empty. And <laughs> that was terrifying, seeing that. Running out of meat, right? Whole aisle in my uh, local supermarket, no meat. No bread. But that's 
kind of past behind us. But it does not end with COVID. The world is just like standing on a beach, on a sand, and looking at the waves coming at you. It comes and it goes and comes and goes. Never-ending worries, never-ending miseries in this life. And how are we going to? How are we going to survive? How are we going to do more than surviving by doing these things? I don't want to be put to shame in anything. But as always, Christ will be magnified in my body. When you say that, whether by life or by death, it does not matter. I will end with this. I was reading again Calvin. And one of the things that as you read these Puritans, Calvin is kind of a forerunner to them, but when they discuss certain things, you pay attention to their quotations. They are quoting so many Bible passages, probably just coming to their minds. And Calvin, when he comments on this verse, this Philippian verse, he is quoting Romans 14, 8. And he says this. I'm going to read that in a minute. But he says, upon this text, he says this. If, accordingly, according to this text, giving ourselves up to the good pleasure of God, and having in our life the same object in view as Paul had, we shall no longer have occasion to fear For if we live and die to Him, we are His in life and in death. Romans 14a says this, If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We are His. That's the security and comfort that we have, whether by life or by death. We could rest in God's providence because no matter what, I am His. I belong to Him. So I am secure in Him. And the word that Paul used in verse 1, of this Philippians is what? I am his slave. I am owned by Christ. I do his will. I forget about myself. I'm nobody. I want to decrease, but I want Christ to increase in my life. That's what exactly what he's saying in these verses. May it be true for all of you. Staying faithful to Him, magnifying Christ in our lives, no matter what, because we belong to Him. And He will remain faithful, no matter what. We could stay faithful, and we could face today and our future with this all-boldness. Let's pray.